possible. But for all you social butterflies, it is time. Say it with me. It's time. Oh, come on. We do better. It's time to start. Yeah, 10 o'clock was up and at it right out of the gate, man. They were like, woo. Yeah, they were just like, I was like, wow, 10 o'clock's, 10 o'clock's awake this morning. So we're going to do a Bible study this morning, and we're going to do 2 Kings chapter 4, and we've been talking about Elijah and Elisha. And our series is called The Tale of Two Prophets. Just by way of background, okay, God's eye is not only on the sparrow, his, na- his eye was on the Jewish people from the incept. If you don't know anything about your Bible, I'll give you a quick overview of how God dealt with man separated himself from God, and God in the span of time found a man whose name was Abraham. And Abraham actually would believe God. He heard God. He would begin to follow God. And the Lord began to isolate Abraham. And the Bible says He gave him righteousness because Abraham believed Him. It wasn't because of anything Abraham did. Abraham believed God, and the Lord said, I'm going to use you. Abraham had a line of children. He had Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. Those 12 sons became known as the Hebrew people. And so the Lord made a covenant with the Hebrew people. And the responsibility of the Hebrew people was that they were to keep His Word, they were to honor His Word, they were to record His Word, and they were to walk wholeheartedly before Him. But the greatest mission of the Hebrew people was that they would be the bloodline of the Messiah. So the high purpose of the Jewish people, anybody ever heard the Jews are a chosen race? Well, what are they chosen for? Exactly. Nobody knows. They were chosen to be the bloodline of the Messiah. They were chosen to reveal the Messiah to the world. Everything that was entrusted to them was to manifest Jesus to the nations. And so in, in the process of time, Israel had its own nation. They became an empire, so to speak, under King David. Anybody ever heard of King David? Yeah, okay. So King David, King David had a son whose name was Solomon. Solomon had a son whose name was Rehoboam. Rehoboam wasn't a good guy. And so in the time when Rehoboam was ruling the kingdom, it divided into north and south. I say, why are you telling us all this? Because I'm setting up the story. <laughs> the northern kingdom was known as Israel. The southern part of the nation was known as Judah. Again, it helps you if you're reading your Old Testament and you're reading your Bible. When there's always a reference to Israel and there's a reference to Judah. When God uses the word Israel, He's referencing the northern kingdom. When He uses the word Judah, He's referencing the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom divided from the south. And the, no- the south said, we're going to follow and honor the Lord. And so that became kingdom of Judah. It's actually where we get the word Jew from because the people themselves were known as Hebrews. Hebrews. Isn't that crazy? Hebrew people. You know what Hebrew people means? They brew coffee? No, that's not what that means. It's not, it doesn't mean they brewed coffee. It means that the word Hebrew means people from over there. Over there. That's what Hebrew means. On the other side of the river, on the other side of the tracks. And that's the beautiful thing about the story of Jesus is He takes the people from over there. He takes the people out on the outside of the margins. He takes the people from brokenness and distance. And he, he, those are the people that He chooses. The, physician, the, the, the well do not need the physician, Jesus said. And so He takes what is broken and He puts it in and molds it and mends it and creates His own thing. It's not for the sake of their glory. It's for the sake of His. It's not because they were so perfect. It was because they were so imperfect. That's how Jesus uses you. It's not because you got a PhD on the wall. God says, well, there's one I can use. He gets no glory in that. God takes the broken and He makes the broken whole. God takes the lowly and He, and he exalts them. 
Because in the end, no one can tell the story. How did you get from the ash heap to the mountaintop? Because the Lord brought me there. No one, you can't say it was your own abilities. That's how, that's how the beauty of God is, is that he takes what is not and makes it into something. And so we have this nation, the northern kingdom didn't want to follow God. They had no interest in following God. They said, we're going to do it our way. And because they did it their way, they had 13 kings in a row that were wicked. And so the nation is in darkness. The, la- the nation is in depression. The nation is, ha- is under an oppressive government that is essentially taking everything from them. And into that oppression, God sends first the prophet Elijah. And I love to tell this story because it brings Jesus glory. That's a, that's a rhyme. Somebody had to wrap that. I love to tell the, I love to tell the story because, I don't know, forget it. I'm not, I'm like, I rap like I'm from 1982. I mean, that's like not even close to what goes on here. But anyway, so Jesus sends Elijah. Elijah goes to the northern kingdom. God sends a prophet into darkness. He sends light into darkness. And the powerful part of that story is is that the darkness was not looking for the lights. There's no record where they were saying, hey, send us light. They weren't calling on God. But God in his mercy sends light into darkness. And he shows up and says, does anybody want light? That's how people come to Jesus. Some of you actually end up at this church because you encounter the light of Christ through the life of somebody else. And they show up and they beam light to you and they go, hey, do you want it? I got, some, I got something that you can have. I don't know where you can find what you're looking for. He sends light into darkness. He, and, and he just basically sends the prophet and says, here's the light. Anybody wants something different? Anybody sick and tired of being sick and tired? Anybody want hope? Anybody want restoration? Or do you all want to keep the same thing? And so God, sent, God in his mercy sends Elijah to the north. And Elijah finishes his ministry, and and his successor was named Elisha. So Elisha comes after him. And Elisha is still ministering in the north. God is still being merciful to these people in darkness. And Elisha goes to a woman called, everybody say it with me, Shunammite. Right, she was a Shunammite woman. What does that mean? It means she's from a town called Shunam. So that was your surname in the ancient day. You would be, you know, Hank, Hank Redlands, you know, or wherever you were from would be your name. And Mary Magdalene, she was Mary Magdala. She was from the region of Magdala. Or the Mary of, she was from the region of Magdalene. She was, so who is that? Oh, that's Mary from Magdalene, or Mary the Magdalene. That's kind of how it works. So this woman is known as the Shunammite woman. We don't get her name, but we definitely get a lot about her. She was in the northern city of Shunem, and it's near Nazareth. Politically, what's going on in the country, I'm giving you the background so that you can kind of come into the story a little bit. Politically, Joram is ruling. So who's Joram? We have Ahab, we have Jezebel, bad people. They were ruling in the north. They've both since moved on, died, and now their son Joram is running the place. Joram, so Jezebel was uh, all about Baal, all about the worship of Baal. If you didn't worship Baal, well, then you were going to be executed. That was kind of her her philosophy. Her son Joram is more of what they call an ecumenicalist. What, What do you say? What is ecumenicalism? Ecumenical means that all faiths are the same. All faiths lead to the same place, right? That's kind of, that's, that's like, well, America's more humanism. That's our religion. Our religion's humanism. If you want to know what America really worships, we worship humanism. We worship human effort. We worship human intellect. We, we, that's what we worship. Humanistic. We're more humanistic. We're not even, I wouldn't even consider, if it's a religion, we, we would say it's humanism. We're not any of the other sort of religions, if, if you were. America's idol is humanism. We worship at the God of self. We know more. We think this. We, all of that stuff. But Joram was an ecumenicalist. He believed that all these religions were the same thing, so he kind of tolerated everything. So Elisha's got a little bit of a free reign. He's able to move around. 
His predecessor, Elijah, couldn't because everywhere he went, there was a sword waiting for him because they were trying to kill him. But Joram's a little bit more like peace and love. Hey, man, can't we all just get along? Hey, you know, let's hang out in the ashram. I'm in a lotus position. Oh, hey, that's cool. I, I worship like that too. Yeah, that's kind of Joram's attitude. And so Elisha's got a little more free reign. It says, one day he went to, he went to Shunem. So Elisha goes to this town of Shunem, and a very well-to-do woman was there. Ladies, God, throughout the scripture, he uses women. He uses the prominent, he uses the lowly, he uses the outcast. It doesn't matter. God uses women. They're intricately related to his gospel. And here's a well-to-do woman. This is a woman. She was well-to-do. She was well-off. She was better off than everybody else. She was still in the times and seasons within that country. But she was well off. And she walked, saw Elisha walking by, and she urged him to come in for a meal. And so every time Elisha would come by on that road, she would say, come in and eat with us. Come in and eat with us. And she so honored him. So she says to her husband, I know that this man of God comes our way. He is holy and he is of the Lord. Let us make a small room on our house and let us put a bed and a table and a lamp in there for him so that everybody say with me, he can stay with us. They put a room on their house at their own expense. Okay? Number one, you're going to honor God, it's going to cost you something. This is what's going on here. She's honoring the Lord. She begins to honor God. She, she, her heart is not necessarily for herself. Her heart is to honor the Lord. And they put this idea, they, and when you honor God, it costs you something. She honors God. She does it at her own expense. She does it. And so what, is the, what, is, what are some of the points that are going on here? Elijah's a prophet. He represented the anointing, the presence, the power, and the purposes of God. That's what he represents. Okay? Is he a real person? Yes, he is. But if you want to take what he represents, he represents those things. This woman welcomed him into her house. What does this mean? She's about to experience incredible miracles. I think it's 30 or 40 verses of Scripture dedicated to this woman. So God is clearly trying to highlight something here. Right? This woman is about to experience incredible miracles. And we find out what the root of her, the, of her experience was is because, everybody say it when they, she honored the Lord. Say this, where there is honor... There is access. Where there is no honor, there is no access. So she began to honor the Lord. She began to, one of the lessons for us is if you want miracles and you want to see the power of God, say it with me, the prophetic must find room in my house. You have to make room for the prophetic. Lost art within the church. What is the prophetic? To see as he sees, to hear as he speaks, and to feel as he does discerning his voice, discerning what he speaks and says and does. It is the foundation of all power. Prophet, priest, king. It's not just a title, it's a progression. It's a progression of revelation, and it's a progression, you ready for this, of manifestation. We don't see kingdom power because we don't honor the prophetic. We don't honor the prophetic, and then we don't understand priestly ministry. So we have to know what the prophetic is. How does he see? How does he hear? How does he feel? What does that ministry look like? How do we experience that? How do we partner with that? Then we have to understand priestly ministry. And if we don't understand priestly ministry, then we'll never get to kingdom. I want to see kingdom power. Well, you've got to understand prophetic and priestly ministry first. You've got to understand prophetic and priestly ministry is unto him, from him, unto others. It's not what you want. Lord, what do you want? Lord, what are you saying? Here comes the prophetic. He says this. And you minister it. And all of a sudden, we have a kingdom manifestation. You're going to see it. You see it over and over again. We're praying for that woman with asthma. Okay? She's got asthma. The, you know, the inhaler, the grandma over there. And we were praying. And we're looking at it. 
you try to discern, well, we're just going to need to throw our hands on her and just say this prayer. No, you don't. You need to hear from the Lord. Okay? And so we were praying over her. We laid our hands on her. And I just felt like to lay my hands on her, on her back. And so we're laying our hands where her lungs are and laying our hands on her back. And I could feel power coming out of me. And then, I, you know, I was in my, my friend was in here. He's like, he's like uh, let it build. He's like, I feel like we need to let it build. It's like, okay. So we just sat there and let it build. And then we, I could feel the power just beginning to build and coming out of me and going into the girl, into the woman, the, the, the gal. And uh, then we started telling her, begin to breathe deep, begin to breathe deep. So she started breathing deep, she started breathing deep. Well, what is that? First of all, that's prophetic. Hearing God, what do you say? Lord, what do you say? How do you want to do this? You have to have the ability to actually hear that or understand that he's speaking. Then let him minister unto you, Lord. What do you want? Let him minister back to you. This is what I want, or this is how you're to do it. And then I want you to do it unto them. That's priestly ministry. We don't see kingdom power because we don't understand prophetic. We don't understand that God is speaking. We don't understand that God is giving revelation. We don't understand that God is imparting feeling and emotion that we can participate in and we can receive and feel as he feels. And we don't understand that. And then we don't understand, we don't understand priestly ministry. Here's our method. We just go and slap hands on somebody without discernment. What do you think it means? Laid hands on no one quickly. Nobody can really interpret, interpret that. We think we've got to discern the person before we lay hands on them. No, it just, just, just don't walk up and slap hands on them and start praying over them. Discern the situation first. What are you saying? What are you doing? What are you doing? Okay, I'll give you another one. You guys want another one? No? Two of you? I only need one. That's all I need. If the room's quiet, I'm going to move on. But if one, so I'll give you another one. Okay, a little young guy. Um, Brings him, brings him up to you. I think I might have shared this here. Which one am I? You want the woman or you want the kid? Which one do you want? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter? Both? Well, I'll do both. Well, both. Oh, gosh. I'll give you the woman because this one's so. Woman comes to me. It's the mother of the boy, actually, that couldn't bend over. And she's got pain, right? And she's got pain. She can't lift her arm. And if you were here that day, it looked like an aerobics class. I had the boy touching his toes and I had the woman going like this. It looked like Kevin was conducting aerobics class over here in the corner. And so she has pain in her arm. She can't lift her arm. So it's like, okay, we pray, lay hands on her. Guess what? Crickets, nothing happens. So I said, okay, and I'm trying to figure this out. I'm like, is it an injury? She's like, no. And I said, I said well, put my hand where, where the pain is. And she put my hand where the pain was, and it didn't seem like there was anything going on there. And so I began to ask the Lord. I'm like, what is this? What, this is weird. Why should this prevent her from lifting her arm? And I heard the Lord say, self-consciousness and unworthiness. And I looked at her, because another story on that, but I won't get into it. And I said to her, do you struggle with unworthiness and self-consciousness? Do you struggle with any of that or insecurity at all? Blah, she started crying. I did, not that I was looking for her to cry, but she just immediately let loose. So I walked her through a process of breaking that and receiving value from the Lord. And after I walked her through the process of valuing and receiving from the Lord, she was doing that. No problem at all. Okay? Her son comes to me. He's got binding in his back. He can't bend over. He's 15 years old. And she's like, he can't play sports anymore. His back's all bound up. And so I'm like, okay, I'm just trying to show you prophet, priest, kingdom ministry here, trying to give you an understanding of it. And so I start, I'm looking at him, and somebody would say, just pray for him, release fire on that, tell him to start moving. Well, okay, that's a method. It may not be the method, but it is a method, okay? I prefer to hear what the Lord says, and if the Lord says, lay your hands on him and do that, then that's what I'll do. So I lay my hands on him, and I'm praying. And I'm going, what do you want to say, Holy Spirit? And I'm just like letting the Lord talk to me, prophetic, priestly. And I hear the Lord going, what does a 15-year-old, why does a 15-year-old have a back that's seized? That's what I hear. And so I go, well, that must be the question I'm supposed to ask. And so I go, Lord, why does a 15-year-old have a lower back that's seized? And I know from experience, because I've done this before, men that typically suffer pain in their lower back have issues with their father. And so I asked him, I said, what's your relationship with your father? 
and he, he said, it's good, it's good. And I looked at his mom and I said, D -d -d what's his relationship? And his grandma chimed in. She's like, he has a terrible relationship with his father. His father doesn't want him, all this other stuff. She began, she, grandma spilled the beans on him. And so it all went out there. So I walk him through a process of helping him to forgive and to release his father. Right? So I walk him through this process of helping him to forgive and release his father. And as soon as I did this, then I was going to pivot and I was going to pray for him. Well, as soon as I went to pray for him, the kid's already touching his toes. He immediately, the pain was, yeah, come on, you can give Jesus glory. That's kingdom manifestation. But kingdom manifestation didn't just walk up because I had an idea and I'm going to slap my hands on the guy and this is what's going to happen. I discerned it prophetically. I, re, I was ministering with the Lord priestly, and then he showed me how to activate it. Do you understand that? That's why there's no kid. That's why prophetic is the foundation of all miracles. We, we got all our doctrine and our theology correct, but we can't manifest power. That is a problem. That is a major problem. We should be able to manifest power not arbitrarily, but consistently. Prophetic, must come to, prophetic has to find room in your house if you're going to experience miracles. Prophets must come home to the house. I tell this to people who think they've got a prophetic ministry. They don't understand. Like, oh, I'm a prophet. I do this. Do you understand what a prophet is within a house? It's part of the fivefold. The idea of the prophet within a house is to develop the prophetic ministry to release it. That's prophets, apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the people. So the role of the prophet within the house is to equip the people in the prophetic ministry. And prophetic, there's nowhere where God gives the New Testament prophet an itinerant. You can be an itinerant, which means you can travel around, but that's not to be your main ministry. It's not there. It doesn't exist. We can see it even Elisha. She, he, the prophet has to have a room in the house. So the prophet has to have room made for him, but the prophet needs to also own the house and be a part of the house. And that's a big problem with so-called prophetic ministries today is that everybody wants to do it, but they don't own the house. They don't want to be a part of the family. They don't want to be part of the church. That's a problem. All five of those gifts have to find home in a house. Because if an evangelist doesn't have, a home, doesn't have a home church, that's a problem. Okay? That's a problem. If a prophet doesn't have a home church, I'm not talking about a covering. I'm talking about a functioning part of a family, part of a family. If he's not functioning within the part of the family, that's a problem. Because we're all called to be a part of the family. The church is the central position of everything that Jesus does. To him be glory through the church. Where's the glory coming? Through the church, people. Not through the streets, not through this. It comes through the church. Christ, to him be glory through the church. Is that Jesus calling right there? Next slide. The Lord's ringing me up right. He's ringing us up right now. Next slide. Okay. So Elijah wants to bless her. So she's doing everything for Elijah. So I want to give you a little window into ministry, right? So this is what's happening with Elijah. Elijah is a guy, and he's a minister, and he's serving God, and he's doing all these things. When a man serves God, a woman serves God, pastors are rarely honored, and pastors' wives even less so, just so you know. Say, so, oh, you have no idea. You have no idea. I told one guy, he's like, pastors, he's like, this has to be a calling. Who would want to do your job? You know, who would want to deal with all the stuff that you guys deal with? And it's true. However, my point is, my point is this. There's a lot of difficulty. So our honor comes from the Lord, ultimately, because it seldom comes from people. Seldom, right? And, so, and one of the ways that this is happening, even with Elijah, is everybody that comes to him wants something from him. 
You understand that? Usually pastors, prophet, you know, even you know, people you operate in a ministry and they know, oh, give, bless me, give me a word, do this, you know, all this stuff. All of that's fine. That's part of the job, right? That's part of the calling. So I'm not, I'm not putting that out in a negative light. What I'm emphasizing here is what freaked out Elisha. Elijah got freaked out because this woman didn't ask him for anything. All this woman wanted to do was bless him. She didn't ask him for a thing. And she said, I want to honor you. And I want to honor God through you. And I want to honor what God is doing in your life and what God is doing through you in this world. And I want nothing from you. And so Elijah's like, what in the world? What have I just encountered? And so Elijah's heart begins to open up because she's honoring him, not just for the sake of what he can do for her, but because of who he is. It's the same principle towards the Lord. When you start seeking the face of God and not the hand of God, you'd be amazed what opens up to you. We don't just seek what he can do for us. We seek him because of who he is. We seek him because of his honor. We seek him because of his beauty. We seek him because he's worthy. And you'd be amazed how the atmosphere will open up to you. And the atmosphere will open up to you far quicker and far faster than just asking, God, will God meet your needs? 100%. Will God bless you? 100%. You won't walk away without a blessing. He will bless you. He will honor you. But how much more so if you began to honor him, because honor creates access, how much more would that happen? You see, God honors you, and when he honors you, that creates access for him into your life. When God blesses you and he does and he answers your prayer, what happens? Your heart becomes open to him, does it not? When you know that he loves you and he cares for you and he's for you, your heart becomes open because honor always creates access. And so as he honors you, your heart opens. What happens when you honored him? You don't think his heart would open? (laughs) Father, what would you have me to do today? Lord, I'm your son. I'm before you. What would you have me to do? I am on your team and I am for your purposes. He'd fall out of the chair because most of our prayers is, Lord, what can you do for me today? And I'm not saying you shouldn't ask because he tells you to ask. And getting Christians to ask is a big thing too because a lot of Christians don't ask for anything. So I don't want to discount that. I want to encourage you to ask him. But I want to take it a little higher. And I want to challenge you to begin to ask, honor him and begin to not just seek your own honor but begin to honor him. What would happen? Just run that as an experiment. Whatever you want, Lord. I just want to honor you today. I just want to bless you. I just want to thank you for everything that you are and everything that you've done. Begin with just thanksgiving. Begin without emotion. Just begin to thank him. I thank you that the sun is shining. I thank you that the air is clear. I thank you that it's raining today. I thank you that I live in the United States. I thank you this. I thank you that. Just begin to thank him. I thank you that nothing that has happened to me will destroy me, but everything that has happened to me you will use for my greater good and purpose. I thank you. Thank him by faith. I thank you that I'm broke, but I know that in you I'm prosperous, and I know that you have a plan and you have a purpose for my life, and where I am now is not where I'm going to be. Begin to thank him by faith. Thank him for what he's done, and thank you for what he's going to do. Honor him. Watch it open. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. What's it talking about? It's talking about honor, isn't it? Gates open with honor. Just a thought. They were in oppressive times. Elijah says, what can be done for her? And Gehazi, his servant, comes to him and says, she has no son. And so the prophet tells her, you're going to have a son in your arms. God is going to give you the very desire of your heart. And she said, do not mislead your servant. But she became pregnant and had a child, just as she said. She said, don't lie to me. You see, it was a time when everything was oppressive and dreams had died. Okay? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Oppressive times can cause the dream to die. Difficulty can cause hope to be lost. And so she was hopeless. And the Lord gave her a word. She had lost hope, living in dark times. She was looking for light. And when she found it, she brought it into her house. Next slide. The boy goes out into the field with his father. They're reaping in the field. So the woman was obviously well off. She had fields. 
and they were reaping in the field, and the boy, the boy fell ill with his father. He had a headache, took him into the house to his mother, and he dies. Second Kings chapter 4, you can read it. What did he die of? More than likely heat stroke. That would probably be the indication, because it was very hot out in the field reaping. Not a lot of shade out there. The little boy's out there with his dad. Watch this woman. She doesn't cry. She doesn't make funeral arrangements. She doesn't even tell anybody that her boy's died. She simply takes the boy, lays him on the bed of the prophet, where the word came to her, and closed the door. She goes out and gets a horse and takes off. Okay? What does that mean? Why didn't she cry? Why didn't she mourn? Because Jesus had not had the final word. I'm going to let that marinate for a second, and I'm going to say it again. She didn't mourn. She didn't cry. She didn't write an epitaph. She didn't do any of that because Jesus had not had the final word. How many of you, well, she didn't listen to her circumstances. Ready? Okay? She didn't, everybody say it with me. I'm going to help you out. You're going to help me help you. She didn't listen to her circumstances. She didn't listen to her emotions. She didn't call Dr. Phil. Okay? She didn't. She, pressed, she suppressed her emotions, she got control of herself, and she had faith. A little message on faith here. Faith has no feeling. If you're waiting for faith to have feeling, you're going to be waiting for a long time. Faith is not feeling, faith is clarity. What is, faith, what is the experience of faith? Clarity. Faith is not an emotion. So this woman had to arrest her emotions, push them down, and get clarity. And when she had clarity, that means she had faith. And she had to hold her emotions down because faith is clarity. And she didn't want anything to get in the way that would confuse the clarity that she had. And her heart was, this was given to me by the word of the Lord. Therefore, if it was given to me by the word of the Lord, it can only be removed from me by the word of the Lord. And so she goes to find the prophet because Jesus hadn't had the final word. You see, circumstances had had the final word. If she would have asked the opinions of everybody around her, they would have told her, the boy's dead. Get over it. Come into reality. Get off the moon. Okay? Stop, stop living in a dream world. Stop doing all of this. She didn't listen to anybody. She didn't listen to her circumstances. That's what we do. People get around us and we start, oh, it's over, it's over, it's done. Oh, it's over, it's over. You know, we start writing funerals. We start writing epitaphs. Mike, everybody say it with me. Who told me that. Who told you it was over? If Jesus hasn't told you it's over, it's not over. It's not over until Jesus has the final word. That's it. But we, in our weakness, in our foolishness, in our frailties, in our faultitudes of doctrines, and not understanding God's heart nor his ways, we begin to act like men and women and write epitaphs on stuff and kill things long before it's time. Simply because the circumstance has told you it was dead. Simply because somebody has told you it's hopeless. You've buried it. Jesus never told you that. He never told you that. But if you don't ask him, he's not going to tell him. This woman didn't just wait for a word of the Lord. She went and found it. What does the Lord say? The promise had died. The dream is over. It doesn't matter what the circumstances say. Anybody know who Lazarus is? Okay, we know Lazarus. Lazarus was raised from the dead. Okay, we know the story. Lazarus come forth. We know that story? The, but one of the roots of that story is found before in the conversation with his sister Mary. 
He says, Lazarus will rise from the dead, or your, your brother will live again. And she says, yes, Lord, I know at the resurrection of the living and the dead, when you come again and you establish your kingdom, I will see Lazarus. I will not know that. What's Mary's problem? Mary knew doctrine. Mary knew theology. But Mary didn't know power. You see? Big difference. Doctrine and theology are important. But you must know power. And he looked at her and he said, don't you understand who I am? I'm the resurrection and the life. Doctrine's not going to get you there, Mary. Okay? Theology's not going to get you there. But power will. And power comes through understanding who he is. Just a thought. I'll give you another one. Woman at the well. We know that one? Anybody know that one? Very sort of salacious woman. Not really one. She, she went and got water at noonday. Because she didn't want any of the other women to see her. Because she had five husbands. And she was living in a van down by the river with her other one. Wasn't a really happy situation. And Jesus, he sends the boys off to get happy meals, and he goes and finds this woman. He had to need to go through Samaria. This was not a random encounter. The father had told him to go through Samaria. And so Jesus goes through Samaria. That's how it works. And Jesus, like us, following the Spirit, that's his model. You say he's God. No, but he humbled himself as a man. He's man and God, but he set aside his divine attributes and was solely reliant upon the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit says, go through Samaria. He goes through Samaria. And as he's going through Samaria, he's like, okay, I'm in Samaria. Where do I go to go to the well? So Jesus is like, okay. And he's just chilling at the well all day. And then along about noontime, up comes a woman. And he said, there's my assignment. She's my assignment. Spirit told me to go to Samaria. Told me to sit at the well. There she is. And he begins having a conversation with her. She had five husbands. She wasn't, she wasn't the greatest woman. And he goes into this, and everybody starts talking about, oh, it's a, and they're having a theological debate, same thing, about theology, about doctrine. Theology and doctrine are important. I cannot emphasize that enough. Say it with me so that you don't think I'm lying. Theology and doctrine are important, but so is power. God subjects his doctrine and his theology to his power. Time and time and time and time again. Power overrides everything. The law says this, Jesus says that. It shouldn't be done, this is why, here's all the legal reasons why. Jesus said, so what? Boom. This woman at the well, so here we have this conversation that's happening with him. It's a theological, oh, well, I say worship on this mountain. You say worship on that mountain. Oh, well, this is our father's say. No, it's all this. And they're having this debate. Jesus is like, listen, I ain't got time for this. He says to her, if you knew the gift of God that was sitting in front of you, you would ask. That is the root of that entire story. You want to know what the root of that whole story is? It's that statement right there. Say it with me. If I knew the gift of God that was in front of me, I would ask. Same problem Mary had at the tomb. She didn't know who he was. She didn't ask. Oh, yes, doctrine, theology, all that other stuff. We have to know who he is. He's kind, he's generous, and he's willing. Let's just say that. Jesus is kind, generous, and he's willing. And he loves me just because. Come on. Come back to me and live, Amos says. Power and life is with Jesus. Next slide. She goes to her husband says, I need a horse or I need a donkey. I need two donkeys and a fast dude. I need one of your best dudes and I need two things. And she says, it's like, she doesn't explain herself to him. She, okay, this is a word. I was going to make this point. Husbands, you have wives in the room who have the capacity to bring miracles into your house, but you will not give them what they need. 
I don't know about that. She goes to her husband and tells her what she what tells her. I need. She didn't explain it. She doesn't tell him why. She just says, I need to go and find the word of the Lord. So I need two donkeys and your best guy. You know what his answer is? Well, it's not Sunday. Why, why are you going to find the man of God? You know, it's not the new moon or it's not the Sabbath. How do you even know where he's going to be? She's like, I know where he's going to be. I know where God's going to, I know where this guy's going to be. And so she goes. And as he's going, so Elijah's at a conference on Mount, Count, Mount, Count, Mount Count, Carmel. So here's Elijah. He's at a conference. So you imagine this. It's the Mount Carmel conference. He's got all these people around him. Looks over at the door and he sees, uh, oh, is that the Shunammite woman? And he says, Gehazi, go over and talk to her and ask her if everything's well. So Gehazi goes over and she goes, it's well. It's well. You, you want, I want, again, I want to emphasize this. She would not let anything interfere with the clarity of her faith. She was not going to have this conversation with Gehazi. Because Gehazi didn't give her the word. The word came through the anointing of the prophet, through the Lord, from the Lord, if you will. And so she wasn't going to have this conversation in community. She was going to take it right to the source. Because she didn't want to confuse the clarity of faith. Faith is clarity. When you have faith, you cannot get out of faith. You have to stay in clarity. Which means you've got to silence a lot of voices. Which means you've got to get a lot of things around you and get, get out of the noise and stay in clarity. Everything, everything else is disruption. You have to stay in the clarity of faith. Gehazi goes over to her, says everything's right. She goes over to the, to the prophet. She falls at his feet and, she, and the prophet goes, she's in sorrow. Gehazi's like, get out of here, get out of here. What a man of God he was. So sensitive to the spirit, right? <laughs> Woman's crying at his feet and he's trying to get her out the door. Get out of here. Don't you realize he's signing 8 by 10 glossies right now? He's got a book signing. He doesn't have time for this. Get out of here. <laughs> and Elijah said, she's in distress. And I know this woman, and there's a problem with her, and the Lord has hidden it from me. So what do you need? And so he sends Gehazi. She said, my son died, essentially. That's the story. She said, I will not relent until I get a word from God. This was given to me by the Lord. Did I ask for this? I didn't ask for this. This was given to me. Therefore, if it's given, it can only be removed by him. Whatever's given to you can only be taken by the Lord. The only way it can happen is either you surrender it or God takes it. And I'm going to give you good news. Everybody say, I want good news. He never takes it. Ever. The gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. It means he doesn't change his mind. He gave it to you. He said, I didn't ask for it. It doesn't matter. He gave it to you. He said, I screwed up. He doesn't take it from you. You're like, I don't understand. That's grace, people. He has given you a gift. He doesn't take it from you. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights in whom there is no shadow of turning. There is no darkness nor shadow of turning. What he gives, he doesn't go, you know, I've I got to rethink that. i got to take that back from you. He never does it. He gives it to you and he doesn't relent. The only thing, the only way that happens is if you give it up and don't and just surrender it, or he takes it, but he's never going to take it. He's never going to take it. I don't believe that, Pastor. Well, okay, I don't know what to tell you. He will never take it from you. Everything that is good, he has given you. Everything that is gracious, he has given you, and he will not take it from you. What he tells you to do is do it again. I failed. Okay, you failed. Welcome to the planet. You failed. Okay, everybody say, welcome to the human race. Right? Just because you failed doesn't mean it's final, because failure is not final. Say it with me. Come on. Some of you are like staring at me like, really? Failure, say it with me, failure is not final. Say this, for every setback, Jesus has a comeback. That's right. Come on. That's right. If you fail, 
You're just human. Jesus, will you take your failure say, Lord, I screwed it up. You know what he's going to do? Okay, let's evaluate the experience, Kevin. What did we learn? What did we do right? What did we didn't do right? Okay, you, you, have we got a learning session on going on here? Yes, Lord, I think I got a little bit. Okay, go again. That's how he is. He wants you to come to him and evaluate the experience. What did you do wrong? Not in a judgmental sense. It's an evaluated experience. So we go back to the Lord with our failure. Lord, I screwed up. I failed. I, you, know, you told me to do it. I couldn't open my mouth. I chickened out. I like deer in the headlights. I completely froze. I screwed up. So what did you do wrong? Okay, I did these things wrong. I wasn't prepared. I wasn't in the spirit. I didn't do this. Okay, great. So now that we understand this, now I want you to go and do it again. That's exactly how Jesus is. 100% of the time. If he has called you to do something, his reliance is upon himself, not upon you. He goes and Gehazi sends Gehazi ahead of him to go and heal the boy. He said, here, Gehazi, take my staff, run down the street, go down there and, and lay the staff on the child. Here's the point. Elijah, Jesus doesn't need, doesn't need Elisha. If Jesus needed Elisha to manifest the healing, he would have sent Elijah. Elijah does go, but he sends his servant first. But Gehazi has a problem. Gehazi goes, lays the staff on the kid, kind of shrugs, takes the staff, and goes back to, to Elijah and says nothing happened. Gehazi is a classic example of Christians being around the glory, being around the presence, and being around the power, and not being affected. That's Gehazi. He walked with Elisha, and he was unaffected. Unaffected. Didn't do anything to him. He just was kind of there. He didn't understand nor discern the moment that he found himself in. He didn't discern nor did he understand the presence that he found himself in. No clue. Right over his head. I stand up here and I do it every week and I preach glory and I see people drawn from the glory. But I watch other people whoop right over their head. Not discerning the power, the purpose, and the call of God that is being released into the atmosphere. We do a spiritual interaction almost every Sunday before we start the church. Okay, I want you to stand up and I want you to go in faith. And I want you to feel the wind of God blowing off you, the old garments. And I want you to feel all that going. And I want you to see yourself standing there in new garments. You know what people do? I'm not doing it. I'm looking around the room. I'll see if anybody else is going to do it, but I'm not going to do it. Gehazi. You're Gehazi. You do not discern the time nor the space nor the moment that you find yourself in. You're clueless. Right over your head. Whoop. Like Jack Sparrow. He said, one day you're going to have a chance to make a difference. And Jack Sparrow on the Pirates of the Caribbean goes, Eli, he goes, I love those moments. I love to wave at them as they pass me by. It's the way it is, man. You're waving as the glory when it's passing you by. It's in the room. It's in the room. The kingdom of God is not in meat and drink. It's in power. Power. Preaching means nothing but the power. You're like, whoa. Why is this preaching so good? Because the power. It's the anointing. Huh. It's true. It's the glory. We need to discern. We must not be Gehazis. Gehazi. That's why he's in the Bible. If he would have received from Elijah and had learned how Elijah operated and he would have witnessed how Elisha interacted with the Lord and he would begin to model that for himself, he too would have developed that relationship and he too could have done it, but he didn't do it. And if had he done that, we would have seen a different story and we'd be talking about Gehazi. Look, Elijah didn't need, God didn't need Elijah. Look, Gehazi did it. We'd be telling that story. But instead, we're telling the story of a guy named Gehazi who didn't discern where he was. And he didn't understand the place that he was in. He didn't understand the word he was hearing. He didn't understand the atmosphere of the presence. No clue. No clue. Next slide. 
So Elisha goes. Elisha goes to the house where the boy's lying. He goes in and he shuts the door. Okay, ready? Elisha doesn't know what he's doing. We think, Elisha, the man of God has shown up. No, he, you know why he closed the door? Because he didn't know what he was doing. How do you know? Because watch the story. He closed the door. He didn't want, man, I don't, anybody see me do this, man. I don't know. I've never tried to raise the dead before, ever, in my life. I shared this first service. My niece lost her life. And when I went to her funeral, we're in the room. Somehow, it became, I became aware of it, that she was not embalmed. And so you know, <laughs> this is why we don't see the dead raised in America. We have two reasons. Number one, we don't pray for it. And number two, we embalm you in 24 hours. Within 24 hours, the blood has been completely sucked from your body. Your organs have been removed and you've been pumped with poison from aldehyde. Well, the Bible says the life is in the blood. So you take the, body, you take the blood out, well, good luck, right? So I'm in the room, and they're telling me, oh, she hasn't been embalmed. I'm like, what? All of a sudden, I start pacing the floor. I'm like, well, she hasn't been embalmed. Then uh, we, can, we can pray for resurrection. <laughs> and I'm like, I've never done this before. And so I'm talking, and Sherry's like, yeah, whatever, Kevin. And so I talk to my other niece, and she's like, go for it, Uncle Kevin. Go for it. I want you to go for it. And so I'm like, okay, okay, I'm going to go for it. All right, okay, all right, Lord, I don't know what I'm doing. All right, I had never done this before. This is going to be good. It's going to be good, different. It's going to be new. So I'm like, okay, everybody out of the room. <laughs> I put everybody out of the room. I close the door, man, okay? Some of you are like, what? You're seeing a weird, dude. You're like, we're going to raise the dead. Yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm going for it. So go in the room, pray, command power, everything I know to do, I'm there. Went, 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 probably half an hour, I'm in, I'm going for it. I probably could have went, I could have went long, but I did everything I knew to do. Ready? Crickets. Crickets. Nothing. Nothing. Did she rise? No, she didn't rise. No, she didn't. Somebody said, well, you can't raise the dead. Oh, yeah, I can raise the dead. And so can you. You know why? Resurrection power lives in you. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, where does he dwell? That's resurrection power. We carry resurrection power. You say, I don't know. Okay, I'm going to give you two stories, and I'm going to come back to that. I'm going to come back to my niece because there's an important story there that I want you to understand. I had a guy, guy I know, talk about crazy miracles. You've heard me say it before. I'm going to say it again. He'd say, I lay hands on 200 people a week, and then he'd tell about these crazy miracles, like insane miracles, the kind of miracles that, go, that make you privately go, really, Lord? Are you trying to tell me that happened? I mean, of course, we would never acknowledge that publicly. We would be like, yes, bravo, that was a miracle of the Lord. That was amazing. But the kind of miracles that make you go, are you serious? I mean, come on. I mean, this guy's talking about some stuff. And so I go to Jesus. So I'm just going to give you a little intimacy into my world so you guys can't all think it. You know, pastors are so religious, so religious. You know, we just, we just are in the glory cloud at all times, 24-7, and we don't struggle at all. We're just always there. No, we should struggle more because we lead you. We should struggle more because we need you. And so I'm, in the, I'm asking the Lord, and the Lord goes to me, do you lay hands on 200 people a week, Kevin? That's what he said to me, straight up. And I'm like, no. And he said, so why are you complaining about miracles that I manifest over somebody who lays hands on over 200 people a week when you haven't laid hands on 200 people in a year? And I had to be honest. In that time, I hadn't laid hands on 200 people in five years. So you should be careful when you speak. Like Job, I put my hand over my mouth because Job boasts of many things, Right? Job thought he knew everything. Job's like, oh, this is the Lord. All of his friends were trying to tell everybody how God was. Jesus shows up and goes, none of you know me. None of you. 
And when God was done speaking, Job said, I speak as a fool, and I put my hand over my mouth. And so I said to the Lord, I speak as a fool, and I put my hand over my mouth. And you know what I started doing? I started learning to lay hands on people. I started learning to manifest power and release. I started learning everything that I didn't know. Because the problem is with us. The problem is not with him. We create doctrines that say he won't do it. Who told you that? Who told you that? Nowhere in scripture does he say he is not healing today. And then we put another doctrine over it because we want to cover it with sovereignty. So we'll say, well, God sovereignly heals when he wills. Who told you that? Who told you that? He gave you the power. We ask God to do something that he has empowered us to do. But we're too lazy and too arrogant to acknowledge that we don't know what we're doing. And so we see nothing. It has nothing to do with God's willingness. It has to do with your ignorance and your arrogance, including mine. And until I get to the fact that I am ignorant, until I begin to humble my arrogance and allow him to teach me, nothing's going to happen. But we create doctrines of God's, God's sovereign will. How many people did Jesus say no to? Name me one. Name me one he said no to. Lord, if you're willing, I'm willing. Every single time. Don't you tell me it's, it's God's sovereignty. In his sovereignty, he's delegated authority. That's what we don't understand. God's sovereign over all. That's a 50% doctrine. So if you believe that doctrine, you're only getting half the truth. Yes, God's sovereign over all. And he takes his sovereignty, and in his sovereignty, he empowers and delegates you. He didn't say, I'm going to come down on, from heaven and I'm going to lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. He didn't say that, did he? He didn't say, well, when you go to lay hands on the sick, make sure you ask me if I'm willing. Make sure you ask me if I'm okay with healing this person. He never says that. Now, what are the reasons why we don't get healed? There's a lot of reasons why we don't get healed, but it certainly isn't Jesus' willingness. It's called, we have to learn to manifest breakthrough. We learn to manifest breakthrough. We learn to manifest breakthrough. He will show you its progression. He hides from you. He does not cast pearls before swine. Here we go again. Ready? Honor creates access. If you will not honor healing, you will not have access to it. You must first humble and honor and then come before him and let him begin to speak to you and let him begin to minister to you and let him begin to teach you and start getting headaches and start having a mind freak over what you don't know. Because that's how it works. It is a labor. It is an effort. It is a, to it is a toil to understand what you don't know. Just a thought. My niece, she doesn't rise from the dead, right? Didn't happen. Well, you're not Smith Wigglesworth, Kevin. Well, probably not. You know, I'm different. But as I'm standing there, and I, I, I risk a lot by telling you this, because I, I told first service, I only shared this with my family. It's the only people I've shared this with. I'm standing there, and I'm standing over my niece, and as I'm praying, and I'm just kind of worshiping, and I didn't bring the family back in. I wasn't trying to hear if the Lord would tell me anything else. And I was there, and I did, I, you know, sweated and poured it out and put faith and power and everything I had, you know, I, I laid it out. And I'm standing there, and I'm just asking the Lord, and I see my niece, and I see her standing in the midst of a beautiful carnival. She's standing in this carnival, and she looks at me in the vision, and she says, I never meant to hurt anyone, Uncle Kevin. And I said, I know that. This is what I, this was going on in my spirit. This is what, you know. And you know why I think I saw that? Because God honored my faith. I think he honored my faith. So it gets better. I mean, it's going to get real bad. It's going to get real good here in a minute. So I saw that, and I believe God gave me a word, and it gave me a word from my wife's sister. 
and I shared it with her, and I shared it with her, with, with my, with her, her other niece, and I shared it with her. And her mom came to me so many times, and she said, tell me again what you saw. Tell me again what you saw. She asked me that several times when, when, she was, when I was there for the funeral. She, like, outside, she's outside smoking a cigarette. She's all freaked out. She grabs me. She said, Kevin, tell me again. What did you see? What did you see? What did she say? What did she say? And I shared it with her. She said, I never meant to hurt anyone. I said, I know. And she said, goodbye, Uncle Kevin. I said, goodbye, child. That was my little name for her. And I said that to her. And that was kind of the end of the vision. Four months later, five months later, I'm at a conference. This guy's up there touting a book. Oh, I got a book. I got a book. All right. You ever been to a conference? It's a, it's a book commercial. I'm all for it. I'm not against it. You know, so if you got a book and you want to promote it, go for it. You know, I'm all But for whatever reason, this dude's pounding it. And I'm like, okay. And I'm thinking, I'm like, all right, I'll buy the dumb book. And so I go and I slap down my 10 bucks or whatever, and I buy the book. Take the book home, don't read it. This is like five months after the funeral. I'm reading the book, and the book is called The Father's House. And it's a revelation that this guy had of an experience that he had with the Lord and how all these different places of worship and adoration we can come to within the Father's House. It's his vision that God had given him, right? Maybe it's not your cup of tea. Maybe it is. I don't know. I'm just telling you. And so as I'm reading the book, I'm opening up the chapters, you know, and I'm kind of like munching on something. I'm like, oh, what's going on here? And I'm reading it, just skimming it. And he says, you will know that you are at the entrance of the Father's house. Because he says, right before you get to the entrance of the Father's house, you're going to encounter a great carnival. And he said, and you're going to smell hot dogs, and you're going to smell popcorn. And he said, that's going to tell you that you're at the entrance of the Father's house. That's exactly where I saw my niece. I saw her standing in a carnival. Did I know that? No, I didn't know that. I had no idea. If anything, it was weird to me. So here's how prophetic works. You've got to turn off your mind. So here it is. I'm having this vision, right? And I start to see Wendy, and I start to see this carnival, and I'm standing there, and it doesn't make sense to my mind. Oh, this is weird. This, I'm going to just give you the human side of this so that you can understand, okay? Because here's where you lean. Christians are going to lean one way. And most Christians go, oh, that's stupid. I'm not doing that. What I did is I know that I know the Holy Spirit, and I know when he's showing me something, he'll give me a glimmer, and he'll see if I'll lean in. And so he gives me a glimmer, and I lean in. And when I begin to lean in, he starts to show me a revelation. And so I start to see this revelation, and he shows me something there. But I could have went, oh, that's stupid. You know, what? You, you haven't eaten anything, Kevin. You know, the potato salad's calling you. Leave, you know, why, why, are you, why are you doing that? But I partnered with the vision, and I saw that. And God gave me a word of hope to, his, to her family. And then ultimately, five months later, God gave me a validation of what I saw through a book that, of a guy that I'd never known before. <laughs> Is that crazy? And you don't think this stuff is real? You think this is just a religion? You think this is just a mind game? You don't know what you're talking about. You have not experienced him. You don't know him. Elijah goes into the room, and he does what Gehazi didn't. Gehazi, whoop, was in the room, was around the church the whole time, in the room, powers moving around, all kinds of stuff. Gehazi's is like, I'm not doing that. That sounds weird. Oh, that's stupid. That's stupid. Oh, that's dumb. That's dumb. That's weird i got to go up and get prayed for. I don't know if I want to do that. I don't know. It's embarrassing. Okay, whatever. So that's Gehazi. Elijah goes into the room, closes the door, doesn't know what he's doing. First thing he does is he gets in the spirit. Rule one, get in the spirit. You're more powerful in the spirit. You're smarter in the spirit. You're stronger in the spirit. Get in the spirit, and you're going to see yourself in a whole new way, right? You ever do this? You think you're smart, and you get in the spirit, and you're like, wow, I am I'm a flipping genius. I mean, get in the spirit and see how smart you are. I'm serious. Get in the spirit and see how loving you are. You are an amazingly kind person in the spirit. And you know, when you're in the spirit, that's your true self. That's the true identity. That's heaven's identity right there. Who you are outside of the spirit is not the true you. 
That's why the Bible tells us to walk in the Spirit, because that's who we really are. So when you get in the Spirit, you're like, whoa, that's why you come here and we worship. I'm like, wow, I'm loving, you know, you're peeling off $5 bills, you know, because you're in the Spirit. You feel really smart. You came in here with a boatload of problems. All of a sudden, you got a vision. I know how this is going to work out. Well, where'd that come from? You got in the Spirit. Elijah gets in the Spirit. He gets a word. Something happens. He steps back. He lays on the boy, nose to nose, eye to eye, toe, mouth to mouth, hand to hand. He lays flat on the boy. How did it work? Prophet, priest, and king. Goes in a room. Lord, I don't know what I'm doing. Okay? I need a word. Minister unto the Lord. What do you want to do? He didn't come up with it himself. What do you want to do? He gets a revelation of how he's to release it. He says, release it like this. Lay on top of the boy this way. How did Elijah know to do that? Duh. If you know the Holy Spirit, you know what he was doing because it said he prayed. So immediately he got into the Lord. He said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord showed him. He lays on the boy. The boy gets warm. So nothing happened. So he's like, okay, something happened. Don't know what happened. He starts pacing the floor, asking God what to do, and the Lord tells him to do it again. That's how we pray. We pray one time, we're like, oh, Lord, if, you, if you're in a good mood today, Jesus, Sister Susie has served you for 10 years. Oh, you know how Susie sacrifices, Lord. So if you're in a good mood, and there's any mercy with you at all today, if you could just give us a teardrop of your mercy on Sister Susie, if you're just really willing. I mean, we don't want to disturb you or anything, but if you feel like it today, if you would heal Sister Susie, and you know what we get? Crickets. You're not applying the principles correctly. We don't ask him for something he's empowered you to do. You don't ask for the anointing, you release it. You ask for the anointing, but you don't ask for healing, you release it. You don't ask for healing, you command it. When I started doing that, I saw people getting healed. When I would be like, oh, Lord. Oh, good Jesus. And some people are really in on it. They're like, Lord. Lord, that tumor's got to go. Lord, that tumor's got to go. <laughs> Some of you aren't laughing. You're like, man, I pray like that, Kevin. Stop making fun of me. <laughs> Lay hands on that tumor. Get a word and command that tumor to go down. Command that tumor to leave that body. Curse that thing at its root. Declare over that child that that's a daughter of God. This is the temple of the Holy Spirit. It has no place in her. Command it to leave. Begin to manifest healing that way. Begin to take your rightful place as sons and daughters and manifest the glory that's been given to you. And stop asking God. That's why we get nothing. Because we're like, well, if God wanted to heal her, he'd heal her. No. No. Do you bat a thousand? I don't bat a thousand. I'd love to bat a thousand. I'm believing God that I bat a thousand. That means every person I pray for gets healed. I'm believing God for that. So should you. Well, I'm believing if God would just heal one person. Man, come on. Raise your faith level, Christian. Believe God for the anointing. I've asked God that I don't want to see just joints and back pains healed. I want to see tumors I want to see cancer. I want to see all these different things. Two years ago, my wife said, I want to see several types of cancer healed. And I told her, I said, well, if you're going to believe God for that, you're going to be starting encountering cancer. And we did. A lot of it. And we saw a lot of people healed. Was everybody healed? No. What does that mean? It means we don't know what we're doing. I don't know what I'm doing. It has nothing to do with God's willingness. There's a reason. We have to, it's, it's like pushing a boulder. There are levels to this stuff, people. There are rooms in this house. There are levels to this. And you have to grow in your ability to do it. So the boy sneezes seven times. He lays down. Until you see eye to eye with Jesus, heart to heart, hand to hand, mouth to mouth, miracles aren't going to happen. He sneezes several times. What does that mean? He got out of him what was ailing him. Sometimes physical afflictions are directly related to things that are ailing you. Like the boy with the back pain. No reason why that boy should have back pain. But he had bitterness, unforgiveness, and hatred towards his father. As soon as he dealt with that, boom, back pain's gone. He got out of him what was ailing him, and that couldn't hold him anymore. 
He was holding bitterness and unforgiveness. He didn't want to hold it. If you asked him, oh, I love my dad. Well, love is assumed, but you have bitterness against him for a good reason. We need to deal with the bitterness, and then we can get the release. That's the theory, among others. So what's ailing you? Forgiveness, lies, disobedience, generational issues, traumas, pride. What's ailing you? Has God told you to do something you won't do it? That's called pride. Do you know what to do and don't want to do it? That's called pride. Lies that you believe. Jesus says this, you say that. Jesus says you're a son and a daughter. I'm not worthy. I'm just not this worthy person. I'm a mole, no longer a man. I'm a worm. All this other stuff. That's not what your Bible says. It's not what the New Testament tells you over. You, people are bound because of the lies that they believe. One of the greatest lies upon the Christian at the subconscious level is unworthiness. Doors are closed because of unforgiveness, and doors are closed because of the lie of unworthiness. It's true. He did it seven times. Seven isn't the magic number. Seven means whatever it takes. This is the attitude you have to have. Okay? Seven means whatever it takes. It's not magic number. Let's do it seven times, and it's going to happen. Hey, Naaman dipped seven times. No, he dipped until it happened. That's what the Bible's saying. She didn't sneeze seven times. It wasn't the magic number. He sneezed, or he got out of him what was ailing him. He did whatever it took to get from point A to point B. You've got to be that way. If you want the promises of God and you want the glory, you got to get tenacious. Put a rag on your head and a knife in your teeth and go for what is rightfully yours. I got one person. I got another. I got two. Contend for the promises. If it's yours, go get it. And we think, here's another lie, and I'm going to end. I got one more, one more slide, and it's a prayer. It's a declaration. We're going to pray together. But I want to expose this lie. We believe God for the promise and nothing happens and then we walk away. Jesus said, well, I find faith on the earth when I come. What does that mean? Faith in this context is believing God for his promises. Will I find anybody believing me for what I said? Because the lie is, well, you prayed, it didn't happen. God must not want you to have it. Again, I will say to you, who told you that? Who told you that? If God said you can have it, you can have it. Well, then why don't I have it? Well, there's a lot of reasons. There's an alignment issue, perhaps, there may be some external issues with yourself that need to come into alignment, or perhaps, and here's our doc, here's where the church fails, we fail at the doctrine of sin, we don't understand what sin is, which is the root cause of all our problems, and then we fail at the doctrine of the devil, we don't believe in a devil anymore. He doesn't exist, okay? Just, no, it's just everything's God. Good, bad, and ugly, it's God. God's sovereign, all that other stuff. We don't understand that when God puts a promise in front of you, there is an enemy that opposes it. He opposes it. God's desire is to give it to you. The enemy, is, his job isn't opposing it. Your job is to gain victory over the enemy. Understand that? God sent the children into the promised land and they had lots of opposition. But nowhere did God say you can't have it. Nowhere. He said you could have it. Now go fight for it. Question, are you ready to fight for it? You ready to fight for your family, fight for your destiny, fight for your hope? Whatever it is. What are you willing to, what has he told you you could have? What have you given up? That's what happened to this woman. She gave up. The dream died. She didn't have any hope anymore. Just too, it's too hard. It's too oppressive. Kingdom of heaven suffers violence. Did you know that? This is a key point. He didn't say Christianity suffers violence. I want to make this point very, very clear to you. It's not Christianity that is suffering the opposition. It is the kingdom. What is the kingdom? The dominion, the rule, and the reign of God forward into the culture and into your life. When you're starting to press in to the rule and reign of God, to what God wants you to have, his dominion in your life, that's where the opposition's going to come. The kingdom suffers violence. 
It's against what God said. It's against what you can have. It's against the dominion. That's where the opposition is. Just like Jesus, the devil's not anti-Jesus, he's anti-Christ. It's important that you know that. He's not against Jesus. He's against the gospel. He's not against the gospel, even per se there. He's against power. Christ is anointing. You want to know where the most crazy opposition is within the Christian faith? It's against anointing. Because the devil's not anti-Jesus, he's anti-Christ. And so his opposition is always against the anointing. Internally and externally. I could stand up here and talk about Jesus' salvation and Christians from all denominations would applaud. They'd give me the golf clap and round. But I stand up here and I talk about kingdom, dominion, power, purpose, destiny, healing, righteousness, the glory of God coming in and through your life. And oh, we were going to get a lot of opposition there. Oh, that's, you know, I'm a dispensationalist, Pastor. I don't believe that's true. Oh, I'm an ecumenicalist. I believe everything's true for everybody else. Oh, no, 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 I'm a Calvinist. I don't believe you can say that. Because it's kingdom and it's anointing where the opposition flows from. He does whatever it takes. Next slide. Last slide. We're going to pray. All right, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, then do two prayers. The prayer for people to receive Christ and the prayer of declaration. The Bible says you're dead in your trespasses and sins. You're spiritually dead. A lot of people can't understand the gospel because they're spiritually dead. The only thing they need to understand is you're lost. You can't save yourself. You're, you're, you're hopeless without Jesus, and only Christ can save you. That's the only knowledge that people are given. Jesus promises revelation to the lost on no other thing except that. So people don't understand this kingdom stuff. They don't understand this Christian stuff because that's the doorway. You have to go through the doorway, which is salvation. So if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Christ, or if you're here this morning and you say, man, Kevin, I've been so far off the mark, I want to pray this prayer too, and I want to realign myself. Great, because we're all going to pray it together. But if you've never given your life to Jesus, today's your day. We're going to pray together as a group, and all I want you to do is open your heart. Say, how do I do that? My answer to you would be, come on, you know how to do that. Just open your heart. Say, I don't, I don't understand it. You don't have to. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. So let's all pray together. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior. I may not understand it, but I choose to believe it. And I open my heart to you, Jesus. And I ask you to come inside. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to restore me. And I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you, and all that, all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name. Amen. You guys want to pray a prayer? You want to pray a declaration? All right, rise to your feet if you please. Come on, don't be Gehazi. I want you to crucify Gehazi. Some of you are like, I'm not doing it. Not praying a prayer. If that's you, I want you to be the boldest person in the room. I want you to say it the loudest, or at least the most forceful. Maybe not scream it or anything, but anyway. Say this with me. Lord, Lord revive, revive your dream in my heart. I repent for allowing your dreams to die without giving you the final word. I repent for never allowing the dream to live. Come on. I renounce hopelessness and despair. I break covenant with all lies that I have agreed with that are contrary to your voice. I renounce apathy and the fear of failure and the fear of men. I renounce all generational mindsets, beliefs, attitudes, and actions. I am born 
of the blood of heaven and not of the earth. My inheritance flows from heaven through the blood of Jesus. I am a son or a daughter of the highest. Come on, I carry supernatural authority in this world and I am an heir of the world to come. I release and revive the promises of my heavenly Father over and through my life today. Whatever it takes, Holy Spirit, show me what needs to be done. In Jesus' name. You believe that? Come on. <laughs> That's better than coffee right there, man. Woo, that'll get you going. All right, let me bless you one more time. We have um, essentials is going to happen right after this and probably a couple other things that I'm not aware of, but I do know that's going on. <laughs> let me bless you. Just open your hearts and receive the blessing. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you. And may he give you peace. And forever may you live within his favor. In Jesus' name, amen. God loves you. We love you. There is a prayer prophetic team available. Okay, you can email. Yeah. Shelly's saying if you want the slides, email the church and she'll send you those slides. But. <laughs>